Hear the word of God from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "'You are my Son, whom I love.'" With you, I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. So good to see all of you and so good to be able to worship together with all of you today. We just finished up our sermon series in the books of Joshua and Judges, and today we're starting a quick little mini-series in the book of Mark. It's going to be a quick little mini-series that leads up into Easter. And can I tell you guys, going from Judges, going from Joshua and Judges to Mark is like, I mean, honestly, not that Judges and Joshua isn't less important, not that it's you know, not any less valuable for us to glean and get information and learn from. The, we don't devalue scripture in any way, but there's just something about having to go from like hearing about like tent pegs being pounded into people's head and you know, all this evil and to like, oh, ah, here's the gospel, here's Jesus. So it's refreshing, it's, it's, it's a good kind of transition for us right now. But we're going to deal with a very difficult time in the story of Judges. It's where the Israelites did what was right in their own eyes. And they needed a king. Now, out of that, you might think Mark doesn't seem to be the right transition. Doesn't seem to be the right book to go into. But if you guys will, as we dive into this together, you'll see that how exactly this is the right transition. And very much like the people of Israel during the time of Judges, we often do what is right in our own eyes and we need a king. Have you guys ever rehearsed what you're going to say to someone before something important comes up? Maybe like a job interview or uh, giving a maid of honor speech. Have you guys ever rehearsed what it is that you had to say? You like, kind of like practiced it, looked in the mirror, you know? Practice what you're going to say. I remember one time when I was in high school, and I was going to call this girl up and ask her to go to the dance with me. So I rehearsed what I was going to say. So I was like, what's up, girl? <laughs> me, me, you, dance? No, no, it's like, I guess, <laughs> not good. Um, you can dance if you want to. Can you leave your friends behind? I, I, I want to dance with somebody. All I had were song lyrics in my head. Seriously, I couldn't think of anything else. Struggled with, especially that first sentence when I'm thinking about imagining her going, hello? And I'm like, what do I say after that? 
hello back? I don't know. I can see my name. Uh, hi, it's, it's Lawrence. And then she goes, hey, Lawrence. And I'm like, what next? I have no idea. The, the weather is nice. No, no. Seriously, worked with a couple of my friends, called them up, and was like, okay, so what do I say? Like, I need a script here. I need something to say. So we talked to a few of them. They gave me terrible ideas. My friends are terrible. And so just couldn't figure out what to say. So I called up my girlfriend. And like, this is what you say. It's like, okay, that's better. All right, so if you ever need advice on what to say to a girl, call your girlfriend. Not, you know, okay. So I finally called the girl up. Had my opportunity to ask her to the dance. We had about a 10-minute conversation where my whole script went out the window. And I just really kind of like, she actually kind of took the lead in the conversation. She asked a lot of questions. I was like, oh, sweet. This is much easier. We hung up the phone. And I realized I totally forgot to ask her to the dance. <laughs> Completely forgot. So I called her right back up and said, hey, you want to go to the dance with me? And that was it. You see... Intro is, yes, she said yes, by the way. <laughs> you see, intro is the books and letters. Important stuff often take a long time to form because that's the impression. That's the first impression that you want to give. What does your first sentence say? What are you trying to communicate in your very first sentence that captures your audience, that says, this is what I want to communicate, this is what I want you to hear? But very often, we skip over this very first sentence in the book of Mark because it seems like a kind of a normal, non-statement sentence. It seems like a once upon a time or a long, long time ago. But it's not what this intro to Mark 1.1 says. I want you to hear this again. This is put up on the screen. This is Mark 1.1. The beginning of the good news. Now, other translations say the beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Let me say it again. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So easy to skip over that statement there, but I believe Mark intentionally labored over that very first sentence to convey so much to us from the very beginning. It's the beginning. So it's something new. Pay attention, people. This is, it's a shout. It's an announcement saying, listen to this. Something's happening here. This is the beginning. You don't want to miss this. When I used to talk to the youth, I was always used to be like, guys, guys, if you miss anything else, get this. I thought, that's what Mark's doing, because this is the beginning. It's a pronouncement. It's saying, don't miss this. Here's what I'm about to say. It's the good news, the gospel. And I've says, literally translates it already for you, the good news. It's the gospel. The actual Greek word translated here is the evangelion. Now, the evangelion had a lot of connotations behind it. Literally, it means good news. That's a literal translation of the evangelion means good news. But the connotation behind it is more like an announcement. It's like, hey, here's the good news. There's a new emperor that's been crowned. It's a pronouncement. It's, hey, good news. The war has been won. It's more like there's a king. I imagine there's a king sitting here, and there's a war being fought over there. Somebody's trying to attack their land, and this battle being fought over in that distance is what's going to determine whether or not I'm still a king, right? And so I don't know what's going on. It's being fought in this plane all over, battlefield over here. There's no TV. There's no media. There's no video. There's no radio. There's no phones. So what do I do? I send a herald. A guy's on a horse. He's on a hill overlooking with binoculars. He doesn't have binoculars, but okay. He's watching what's going on, and then he sees what happens in the battle. That he races back to me. He races back. He says, King, 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 I bring the Evangelion. I bring the good news. I bring the proclamation that the battle is won. The kingdom is established. You're king. That's the connotation of this word, this phrase, Evangelion. It's a pronouncement. It's a proclamation of the good news. So it says here, this is the beginning the start of something new. This is the beginning, the start of something huge. It's the pronouncement, it's the announcement of the battle won. The good news of the battle won, of the kingdom being established. About Jesus. 
Now this is a huge statement for the Roman Empire because who would, who would have pronouncements? Who would actually have evangelions? It'd be the emperor. It'd be, that'd be the one who making pronouncements. Hey, it's my birthday. It's, we won another battle. This would, be the, this would be the good news that he'd be proclaiming. But here this language is, this is kingdom flipping language here. Now that name Jesus isn't just a name. It's a great name, it's the greatest name there is. But it also has meaning. In Hebrew, it's, it's pronounced Yeshua. And it's the same root word that we get Joshua, and it literally means God saves. It says Jesus the Messiah. So this is the beginning of the good news of a kingdom come ruled by a God who saves. The Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. The one that was pointed to and promised in the book of Judges that we just left. The one that was the greater judge, the deliverer that we all desperately needed. The greater Samson, the greater Barak, the greater Gideon. Who instead of feeling who comes to reign and bring forth the true reign that we really need. He's the son of God. Do you guys see this? This is the first introductory sentence, short and simple and to the point, but it's in your face and powerful, pronouncing to you something incredible, saying this announcement, this huge statement that you're going to get God himself as your king. How incredible is that? What a pronouncement. What a statement. Mark comes out swinging. Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king, even bigger than David, but actually God himself. And then the pronouncement is that his kingdom has come. He's the God who saves. That's one verse in Mark. Mark 1.1. 1, 1. And then this just one verse leads to something even crazier. All of a sudden from this passage comes a guy called the baptizer. This guy, John the Baptist. And if you don't know much about him, he's kind of this mythic figure. This larger than life kind of guy who eats locusts and honey and wears camel hair. Have you guys ever tried picturing John the Baptist? I'm picturing like, like big, massive beard, you know, camel. He looks like Sasquatch, you know, a little bit. That's, just, that's what I'm picturing. I could be wrong. He might be like this tiny little dude with no beard, but this is what I'm picturing. So work with me here. But Jesus calls him in the book of Matthew the greatest ever. The greatest ever, born of a woman. We're talking about the goat <laughs> with the camel hair. He's the goat, the greatest ever. I, what a statement. Could you imagine being called the greatest ever? I mean, the greatest ever being born of a woman. That'd be amazing because I was the greatest ever at anything. You know, I'd be like, I'd be anything. I'd be like, the greatest ever at chewing gum or the greatest ever at like getting my hair cut. I don't care what it is. Just being the greatest ever at anything would be so cool to me. But Jesus says the words, he's the greatest ever born of woman. That's a ridiculous statement. How crazy cool would that be? What an incredible announcement Jesus makes over this weird, crazy guy we call the baptizer, who comes before us preparing the way. So this John the Baptist is here, he gives this message that after me comes one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, I'll baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John is giving this message of preparation. He's saying there's one coming. Guys, you need to prepare yourself. Very similar to what the prophets of the Old Testament would have been given to the Israelites. Guys, what are you doing? We know what God's called us to. He's called us to relationship and trust in him. Quit chasing idols. Repent and turn away. This is the message the goat is telling us. This is the message this weird guy in camel cloak is telling his people. And he's in the wilderness doing, which I love, I love the fact that he comes from the wilderness because the wilderness has significance in the Bible, right? To the Israelite people in particular. It's in the wilderness where they dwelt in the presence of God in the tabernacle. It's in the wilderness where they received the Ten Commandments. And here comes out of the wilderness this voice saying, 
I'm telling you that the Messiah is coming. Get ready for him. He says these words, he says, prepare the way, repent. There's one coming more powerful than I. In other words, he's saying the Messiah that you've been waiting for, the one that's been promised, he's coming. And what this idea, what, what John the Baptist is trying to do, what Mark is trying to do at the same time, is literally trying to throw water into people who are sleeping. He's literally trying to shake people who are sleepwalking awake and saying, wake up. Now is the time for you to repent. Now is the time for you to turn back. Now is the time to live in reality and not the fake reality that you've been living in. Wake up. Be prepared. The Messiah is here. Wake up, world. And this beautiful story of John the Baptist initiating that all of a sudden Jesus comes and he gets baptized. What a weird, crazy idea. Why would Jesus get baptized? John was offering a baptism of repentance. Jesus had nothing to repent for. Jesus was perfect. He had no sin. He didn't turn away from God. He didn't chase after false idols. Jesus was offering, John was offering baptism. It was not the way we do it now. It was not an establishment. He was offering it as a way, symbolically, for the people of Israel to say, hey, cleanse yourself. Come back to God that you've forsaken. Turn back from your wicked ways to Israel. Go back to God. But Jesus never needed that. So why did Jesus get baptized? I think there are many reasons, but one reason in particular, he got baptized to, us, to show us his connection to his people. He was owning up to the whole corporate identity. Once again, my people, we've always talked about this. Waypoint, I want you to hear this. Christianity and your walk with God is never meant to be an individual project. Did you guys hear that? Can I say that again? Your walk with God was never meant to be lived alone. Christianity is always known to be a group project. Your sanctification has always been a group project. Your mission and the advancement of the kingdom has always been a group project. We're called to do it in community, together, as a body. And I have this incredible, this, these ideas like we have in the Bible, figurative head, like Adam representing us and Jesus representing us and the judges representing us. It all comes to show you that we are all together. Now, some people took it too far. They said priests have to represent us to God. That's not true. We are all a priesthood of believers. So the Spirit can work individually amongst us, but there's still something powerful about the fact that we are a corporate body together and meant to live and do this thing called the Christian life as one corporate entity. Does that make sense? Jesus said, I'm going to be baptized because I want you to know that I will represent the people of God. I will fall into the nation of Israel. I'll call the people together and I will represent them. And in this baptism, something incredible happens. It says the heavens opened up. Mark tells this story in incredible, solemn language with a lot of Old Testament imagery. He saw the heavens open. If you go back to the biblical roots, you'll realize that what that really means. It doesn't mean that you see like a little door ajar, like, ooh, I get a little glimpse of heaven. It's not like you see, looking through a telescope, and all of a sudden you see the stars. Heaven in the Bible often means God's dimension beyond ordinary reality. It's more like there's an invisible curtain in front of us that suddenly has been pulled back. So instead of the trees and the flowers and buildings, or in Jesus' case, the river and the wilderness, the crowd's actually standing, standing in the presence of a different reality altogether. The heavens opened up. That means the kingdom was made visible to the people. This was paradigm-shattering, life-altering vision. They saw beyond what we couldn't see. They saw that there was more. And there are three ways this baptism scene can be tied to the larger pronouncement of the kingdom come and the Messiah's arrival. One, Isaiah 64 talks about the Messiah and how God reigned and the heavens came down. 
It's the same language imagery used here. The Israelites would have picked up on this language and saw that this is the anointing of a king. When Jesus was anointed and was baptized, he, they likened him more to the anointing of a king because they saw the heavens opened up and be made visible to them. Two, the, way the, descent, the second way is the descent of the spirit. The Messiah was to be marked by the indwelling of the spirit. The dove symbolized fully the indwelling and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. So when they saw the dove descend upon Jesus, they knew that this is something bigger happening. They saw the heavens opened up. He brings heaven down to the Messiah. Messiah is empowered by the Spirit. They see the dove coming down upon him. And three, there's a proclamation that is made from heaven. The heaven opens up, the Spirit comes, and the Father proclaims that he is pleased. Guys, you see this? This is a ceremony. This baptism led to a, a ceremony. This is an inauguration ceremony. This is, this is a, a proclamation of the kingship of Jesus Christ happening here. Do you get this? This is, a, this is a, you know, King Arthur being pulling the sword out of the stone and saying, I am the king of the land here. This is, this is a, uh, Arendelle and Elsa being, having her inauguration. You guys know what I'm talking about with the scepter and the orb, right? Don't act like you don't know that one. Come on. You know Frozen. Now, do you understand that this is what's happening here? This is a kingdom pronouncement. This is saying, guys, do you see what's happening here? Is that the battle is won. Jesus Christ did something. The be- this is the beginning of the battle won. The pronouncement that the kingdom is here. And here's the king. He's the God who saves. The Messiah we've all been waiting for. Jesus. Now I want to focus really quickly are just three truths that are ours when we see Jesus as king and his kingdom has come. He's a promised king that we've been looking for and he's the one we've been needing. So number one, the first truth that this changes, the first truth that this brings to us is that he changes our heart's alignment. We read over and over again, and this is why the connection to Judges is here. We read over and over again in the book of Judges that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They determined what was right and wrong and if there was, if there was even right and wrong, and it got worse and worse for them as a people. My people, we make that same mistake over and over and over again. We look to ourselves or other places to find what is right and true and good. Or we start to lose what is beauty and justice and goodness because we don't have a standard or a right alignment. Jesus as king gives us that. It gives what justice and mercy and beauty and righteousness is supposed to look like. We now have a standard and an alignment that we can tune our hearts to. An alignment that we were made for. Guys, you see it every day in the world, right? We see how the world just seems a touch off. Maybe more than a touch at times. Maybe way more than a touch at times. People chasing after anything their eyes see, hoping it will bring satisfaction but it doesn't work and we see that there's something wrong and something off and if we keep on looking to our own eyes to find the answers or our own eyes to give us the way the world needs to be, we see the world getting more and more off. As if there is a standard for what is right and good and just. And so the first truth that changes when Jesus is king is his truth comes true to our heart and we know it and is one and our hearts are aligned the way that it's meant to be aligned. Hearts are now aligned with a king that is true and righteous and good. Our hearts are aligned for the one that we are made for, the one we were created for. And that's a beautiful reality. The first truth that we need to get is that we, that we acknowledge that Jesus is king and we're a part of his great kingdom and that our hearts were meant for this. 
to be known and to love and to have purpose and to be part of a kingdom calling is a purpose so many of us long for in this world. So many people are tired of just living for the American dream or living for the next paycheck or living for the next vacation or living for the weekend. So many people are tired of running in a never-ending hamster wheel. But Jesus, as king, we realize that there's more to life than the hamster wheel. That we're part of a bigger history, a bigger narrative, a bigger kingdom, a bigger purpose. Why, people, do you realize when Jesus is king, you're part of a kingdom that's been going on and that will go on forever? Guys, can I tell you, that is so exhausting to keep up with the Joneses. And can I also tell you this, that it's so exhausting trying to find meaning in life and all the activities and endeavors that we try for. It's so exhausting trying to find meaning in life pleasing your boss. It's so exhausting trying to find meaning in life and just little moments of joy that we get here and there or moments of fun, that these flitting moments that just occur and leave so quickly. But when we see that this world and our hearts were meant to be aligned with the king of the universe, the God who saves and there's purpose that he gives to us, that it changes everything. And then all of a sudden, everything has meaning. And all of a sudden, that the, the work that you do and the way you love and the way you live has meaning. Guys, our hearts are meant to be aligned to a king so that we know what purpose is. We know what life and love and justice and beauty is. We know what right and wrong is. We need a king. Even the ones who say, I don't need a king, I'm my own king, I'm my own God. Can I tell you those people, can I tell you right now, that's not satisfying. And I'll tell you right now, everybody worships something. We're all worshipers. Let our hearts be aligned to one who's worthy of worship. And his name is Jesus. The second truth we get is when we know Jesus is king, is we have a tremendous resource in our suffering and struggles. With Jesus enthroned as king, you realize that his will is better. It aligns with the fact that he is sovereign and you're willing to be a part of his, his team, and the work that he's done. It's like being a part of a basketball team. You know that you're willing to be on a team that says that you're willing to be that guy if you're not you know, the best necessarily player, which I've been that guy. You know, not the best basketball player, but I can set some hard screens. You know, I can box out really well, get the rebound. I can do the dirty work, right? Or if you're in a group project together, right, and there's all the grunt work, the copies that need to be made, or you're the one with the really good handwriting, so you have to keep all the notes. You're like, oh, why do I have to be that guy again? But you're willing to do the grunt work because the team is better for it. Because you trust that the team is accomplishing a great work. If you're on a team and you're sitting here and you'll think, well, this team is terrible and the leaders are horrible and it's not getting anywhere, then you don't want to do that. But I'm willing to sacrifice for a team that's doing something incredible and for a leader that's guiding me in the right way. Guys, when it comes to your life, you're gonna suffer. There are gonna be times, if you haven't suffered already, that you're gonna suffer, and it's gonna be hard, and it's gonna be discouraging, and it's gonna be difficult. But a resource to you is this, when Jesus is king, and you know that you're part of a team, that your suffering then has purpose. It's not meaningless. It's not grunt work. It's work that needs to be done to accomplish the bigger goal. It's work that you willingly and sacrificially will do because you trust the king that's guiding you there. You trust the general who's leading the troops, even though you don't see the big picture. You trust the king. You don't always get it. You might not always see it. 
It's kind of like when you put radiation into your body when you're sick. Doesn't seem to make sense, but you trust a doctor. It says sometimes the pain leads to good. There's purpose in your suffering. Three, when we see this king, when we acknowledge and believe that Jesus is king, it's extreme motivation for peace and justice. The purpose of Christian salvation is not escape from the material world, but the redemption and renewal and healing of the world, the new heavens and the new earth. That's where we're going to go. Guys, can I tell you something? There's a belief mistakenly that Christians are, this idea is, idea of Christianity is like, hey, we're all on a sinking ship and let's just save a few. Let's get a few on the lifeboat, right? Or this world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Let's just get out of here. No, that is bad theology. Can I tell you that again? Here's what we're called to be instead. We're called to renew, reform, and recreate this world. Do you hear that? That's why we fight for justice and conservation. That's why we fight for peace and mercy on our streets. We fight for redemption. Not let the world just go to hell in a handbasket. No, 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 no. We believe in the new heavens and a new earth. Can you get an amen? amen? And that's what we're gonna do. So not only do we, not only salvation of the soul, forgiveness of our sins, but fighting against disease and poverty and injustice is an agenda of the salvation of God. I want you to get this. When Mark starts off his gospel with the prophecy of Isaiah, he's connecting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ancient hope of Israel for the king to come someday who will take down every barrier, who will tear down mountains and raise up valleys and heal the world of all its disease and brokenness. Mark can say that king has come. And you can see what happens in the rest of chapter one. Right? In the rest of chapter one of the book of Mark, a demon is driven out and countless, countless people are healed. The kingdom is here, and it advances. And when that kingdom advances, comes peace and justice and freedom for the oppressed, justice for the weak, mercy for the poor, hope for the hopeless, fathers for the fatherless. The truth that Jesus is God incarnate and sits on the throne gives our hearts purpose. Do you see that? That's what we were meant to do. What a calling that is upon us. What a blessed calling. People, do you know Jesus is king? Are these truths yours? Today we have the honor and privilege of celebrating baptisms right after the sermon. And there's an opportunity to walk in obedience and make God make a public declaration of Jesus as your saving king. But those of you who are doing that today, are, we're so blessed to see them witness it. But for you today, if you don't know Jesus as your king and savior, you can his invitation, his pronouncement is for the whole world. And no matter how far away you feel you are from him, remember that he became man for you and he died for you. His love and kingship is a free gift to you. And this is you today. I want to encourage you. I want, I want to encourage you to talk to one of the prayer team members as we enter, when we enter in time of worship together. As, if that's you today, I want to encourage you to talk to one of them. Share with them what maybe God is doing in your heart. And the rest of my people, those of you who already know Jesus as king, are you making these realities yours every day? Are you making these realities yours every day? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the good news. The good news of your kingdom come of the Messiah that we've been waiting for and longing for, who came and brings a kingdom of justice and mercy, who heals the world 
and is recreating heaven on earth. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your tender mercy. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.